Why does it always have to be Tim? Tony! Yes, the Eternal also ran. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And this week, we watched an incredibly long movie. <laughs> for no reason. No. To fit everything in it that happened, it did need to be that long, but did everything that happened in it need to happen? I was about to say, so your argument is, yes, it took place in linear time. <laughs> it did not exist in a dimension outside of time and space. Where more events than you could watch in two hours and 45 minutes took place in two hours and 45 minutes. I'm not going to disagree with you there, actually. I think that was what I was saying. The name of the film, by the way, was Since You Went Away. No relation to the Kelly Clarkson song of a similar name since you've been gone. Though YouTube certainly felt so. When I was looking up this movie. You know, whenever we watch a movie that is this long and doesn't need to be this long, I feel usually a lot of resentment while I'm watching the film. And I didn't feel that. I mean, I don't know how you felt about it, but I liked the characters for the most part. I cared about their lives. I don't feel like I needed to see this level of minutia about their lives, but, you know. I think it needed to pick, like, two of the 16 arguable main characters of this film. Arguably, it's the mom and the oldest daughter, right? Our two leads? Yeah. But then, like, an hour and a half is spent on stuff that really has nothing to do with them. And is of really varying quality levels about characters that I care some about, sometimes, and other times I wish they were dead. Oh, God. That's really dark considering that this movie is about people going to war, some of whom die. Yeah, and God picked wrong. Because God let some people die that shouldn't have died. And God let Joseph Cotton's character live to the end of the film. All right, you and I are going to completely diverge on this then, because I thought that the guy who died was so irritating that Jane, the eldest daughter, dodged a bullet in not having to marry that incredibly boring, incredibly just embarrassing human and I thought Tony was lovely. Um, well, the second part you're insane about, but the first guy did suck. Um, Tony should be stabbed with a fucking kitchen knife in his very first scene because he's the guy who charmingly hits on his best friend's wife fucking constantly as a bit. No, he would 100% fuck her the moment he died. No question. Absolutely He literally no. has the moment in the car where he says that he wishes that he were a worse person so that he could be serious about it. 100% that's insane. He's also totally aware that he is a complete narcissist and that she knows that. Sure. But he's also just a terrible person and being self-aware about being a terrible person and making no efforts to try and not be a terrible person just means you tell everyone how awful you are all the time, which is basically what he does. And I get real sick of it in the first of the 37 months I spend with that character in this two hour and 45 minute film 
Where he's only in it for about a third of it. Yeah, see, when he left to go to war, I thought, oh god, I have to watch an hour and 40 minutes more of this film without him being here and being ridiculous. Yeah, does he, like, saddle up to a line pretty constantly and live there? Sure. But it does feel like this is something that he did even while his best friend was around. And that it actually is a bit that this is the relationship that they have established for years. The only reason being that they have this moment toward the beginning where there is a gift that he has given to the two of them that says something like his love for Tim and Anne is only exceeded by his love for himself or something to that effect. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the incredibly creepy poster he makes without her permission, which I think is another gift. Yeah, that was a little weird. I'll give you that. But do you think he really submitted it to the Navy or do you think that he was just like, this was an elaborate prank? I think he submitted it to the Navy so that he could get leave from them being so offended by it. And then he brought it by her house to show it to her. Is that why he ended up on leave? I thought he was just on leave because, you know, they're on leave. No, he specifically says that after he showed him this poster, they like put him on indefinite leave. And yet he goes back pretty soon. Yeah, I guess it could be a bit. But it also... That's a lot to put into a bit. Yeah. The painting. I'll give you that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's definitely a super problematic character. I think the reason for me that it became charming to me is because Claudette Colbert is amazing. And the way that she manages to be completely comfortable in it and also to be nice to him without ever encouraging it in any way made me feel like this is a dynamic that has been going on for a long time. That's a bit. Like, yeah, she's the perfect woman as far as he's concerned and he seems to be perennial bachelor, but that there's no real hope there. And so that has turned into a kind of transparency that ends up being humorous. I mean, they would 100% hook up if Tim died. I don't think so, because Anne's entire reaction to anything with him is she never leans forward. She never cuddles into him. She treats him like she would a friend. No, I, I just don't. I I get that. Because I watched her for that very specifically. Because I was like, are they gonna... Is this going toward, like, Tim dies and then they get together? But she doesn't have any of that physical body language with him at all. Which I think would be more persuasive if she had any of that physical body language with anyone. Well, her husband's not home. Who is she gonna have that physical body language with? Right. And I think my point is, like, she might just be that kind of person. Like, what if she's just not a big hugger? (laughs) I don't know, because you never actually see her husband in this. But she kisses Colonel Smollett on the cheek. She's actually quite affectionate to everyone but Tony. She kisses him on the cheek, too, at the dance. This is getting really far afield, because I don't need to make the argument this guy is the worst, because he can't be the worst, because three other characters are even worse than he is. I mean, Emily is the worst. She wins that hands down. But who's the other two characters who are the worst? 
the bullet dodged kid that the daughter's going to marry. Bill, yes. And then the colonel stops sucking somewhat. I thought so, yeah. I mean, he does suck really hard for the first act and a half and then fail to see his only grandson off to war before he immediately dies. Yeah. Yeah. But he tried. He was like minutes late. And he had to do some kind of army thing. I think it was a reunion that he promised to go to that he decided to prioritize over that. I thought it was something where the English army was coming over and he had to greet someone or something. Maybe he made it sound like it was like a hangout and I get that they traveled. God, I don't know. I mean, the whole thing was he said so that you don't think that I'm actually an asshole. I mean, does it not verbatim? But so that you don't think I'm actually worse than I am, I really do have this thing tonight and shows her this telegram. I thought that was something that he had to do for the army. Well, isn't he retired? Like, isn't that forced retirement the very first thing he talks about? Yeah, but that's because he's old. I think that he still has to probably do some kind of representational shit. I don't know. (laughs) I think that it would be a deal if he didn't go to this thing. Like, I think it's a real event that he really did go to. And there really were people there that probably traveled a very long way. But I also think it was a thing where he could go, hey, my grandson's shipping out tonight. I'm really sorry I can't make it. And people would be like, oh, of course. It feels like that isn't the intention of the movie, but he doesn't have a job. He makes a big deal out of that. In his very first scene. I mean, I don't understand how army works. So. (laughs) Or navy or any of it. They have weird rules that are not normal to civilians. Or in my case, even known. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly possible. Because this movie also sort of plays fast and loose with the rules it establishes for itself sometimes about how the army works. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I have absolutely no idea. So the plot of this film, it's pretty short for a movie that's this long. Claudette Colbert plays Anne Hilton, who is a woman whose husband has gone off to war. Her husband is 40, which is pretty old, but that wasn't unheard of during World War II. She has two daughters, Jane and Brig, short for Bridget. They don't have a whole lot of money because her husband is in the army now instead of at his advertising job, which apparently paid pretty well and is also how he knows Tony, who was in advertising. Tony is a lieutenant commander in the Navy. He gets put on leave for making a recruitment poster that looks like Anne (laughs) of a woman with her skirt pulled up and her garter showing. She takes in a lodger because they need money. The lodger is Colonel Smollett, who is 60-ish? Somewhere between 60 and 80. Okay, yeah, totally fine. Colonel Smollett is a curmudgeon and kind of a jerk, but then ends up being quite lovable grandfather type by the end of the movie. They also had a housekeeper named Fidelia, played by Hattie McDaniel, who gets another job with a family, and then this is actually not very clear in the film. She gets another job with a different family. They don't have a place for her to stay at their home, or they do, but... 
someone else on the staff is annoying her and won't leave her alone, so she wants to rent the room, another room, from Anne. Anne says, no, absolutely not, you're not going to give us money, so she moves back in with them. One, I don't know in what room she is sleeping. (laughs) I think the one under the stairs? There's a room under the stairs? Yeah, there's like one scene where they're trying to sort out where Tony's gonna stay when he comes back toward the end, where she just sort of appears in this doorway under the stairs. And I'm like, I guess she lives there during her period of time where she works for no money at this house for some unspecified number of hours a week yeah does she end up fully leaving her other job no she says she's gonna work nights and weekends i know she said that but then it's never talked about again and she's always at their house yeah i don't know when she's working at this other place anyway how to mcdaniel plays videlia who is basically part of the family and it's interesting to see Claudette Colbert and Hattie McDaniel have this relationship that Claudette Colbert has essentially with Louise Beavers in Imitation of Life but Hattie McDaniel is despite the fact that her character has a lot of problems with malapropisms is a much more dynamic interesting and intelligent character than Louise Beavers character in Imitation of Life and yet Claudette Colbert is basically in that relationship, the exact same person she was in Imitation of Life. Yeah, I, like that seems to be giving this movie in general a lot more credit than it maybe deserves. Because in Imitation of Life, Louise Beavers has the whole plot with her daughter that gives her something to do besides say things wrong and have everyone laugh at her, which is essentially the only thing Fidelia does for this entire movie. I- say that i mean she does have moments where she gets to be the voice of reason she gets to put men in their place a lot which i really appreciate but i thought it was interesting that claudia colbert's interaction with fidelia was so almost exactly what it was in imitation of life with louise beavers even though well she doesn't end up living in the basement hattie mcdaniel unless she is in a room under the stairs which i never saw so maybe i'm wrong It is definitely the same relationship because in both movies, Claudette Colbert plays it like she's talking to a child. Yes, that's really what I'm getting at is that, oh no, your family sweetheart tone that she has. Yeah, Hattie McDaniel's doing her best, but I kind of think it sucks. I mean, Hattie McDaniel is doing the thing that she won an Academy Award for in Gone with the Wind. She's standing up occasionally in ways that are very low stakes to her white employer and actually in this case never to claudette colbert never actually to her employer it is always to the white men who come and go in their home particularly tony tony is the one that she gives shit all the time which i appreciate she's so charmed by tony all she talks she I don't know what movie you watched, Susan. She got so mad at him about the poster. No, but he drew her and she's like thrilled about it. Yeah, well, that was a nice thing that he did. (laughs) He does some nice things. I mean, she said something about how their team when they were playing charades at the end was stupid and she guessed the thing that they were doing when nobody else got it. And then, of course, they had to undermine that by giving her a malapropism immediately afterward because she couldn't be too smart, I guess. But she does give shit to the white boys in the house, which I like. 
And maybe, does she not have a moment with Colonel Smollett where she kind of gives him what for as well? Maybe I'm remembering this wrong and I've just imbued Fidelia with a lot more character than she's allowed to have. I think she's, Hattie McDaniel is kind of trying to make a meal out of the few lines she gets where she gets to backtalk anybody. But I think it is like three lines in this three hour movie. She is doing her best with it. Well, that's 50% of her lines. No. (sighs) She doesn't have hardly any lines in this movie. She has a couple of full scenes where she, like, keeps begging Claudette Colbert to let her work for free. That's, like, three-fourths of her part. Please, 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 let me do unpaid labor for you. And then a little bit, she's like, hey, white boy, I made you a cake, except I actually bought it. Boom. That's what it was with Colonel Smollett. Yeah. But in that, she's actually saying, I didn't do any work. (laughs) And I appreciated that. (laughs) That is true. I also appreciated it. It was as close to a good joke as this movie ever made. God, we just aren't talking about the plot because there is none. There's just all these incidents of like, it really sucks to be alive in World War II. Yeah. Oh, well, and then Jane goes to a uh jane some i forget how it is that she meets bill who turns out to be the grandson of colonel smollett he comes to the house for some reason bill comes to the house to go like hey grandpa please don't be an asshole to me oh yeah right right right. and the grandpa's like you know what you did then you find out an hour later what he did which is failed out of west point which of course he did because this is like the least west point material person i've ever seen in my life and i have looked in a mirror a couple of times even more than me should just never fucking go to officer training school are you kidding me Because his entire bit is he never wants to make a decision. And then if he ever makes a decision, he has to ask everybody's permission about it. He also can't dance. (laughs) He's physically awkward. Gets jealous super easily. Is boring. Like, what is he funny or something? No. She seems to just fall in love with him because Tony told her she was going to fall in love with somebody. And by the way, Tony not sleeping with her is the one not shitty thing about Tony in my much lower estimation of her. Like, he actually does handle the oldest daughter having a huge crush on him pretty well. I will give him that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like he handles it pretty much in exactly the same way he does the fact that he does have a crush on her mom, but... Oh, God, no, not at all. Um, She says... I wish I were 27. And he says, that's funny. I feel exactly the same way. And you don't know if he means I wish you were 27 or I wish I was 27 so that I could bang you or I wish I were 27 because I wish I weren't 40. (laughs) Oh, he wishes he was 27 because he wishes he wasn't 40. Like, I actually think that it is super clear that his relationship with the daughter is kosher. But the relationship with the mom is just absolutely in no way kosher. The only reason it's okay is because Claudette Colbert keeps saying no. She has enough shit to deal with, my man. Leave her alone. Yeah, see, I, I, I don't see that. I feel like he totally encourages the flirtation that Jane has with him. <sighs> I think he just does that with everybody. In any case, she meets Bill. She and Bill start dating for completely inexplicable reasons because he's 
super boring and she goes to the military dance or whatever and there's 8,000 people there but Bill is the one that she keeps going out with. Yeah, it's really weird because each individual step of their relationship, you're like, how did we get here? Because at the dance, she's like, I agreed to dance with you. And you're like, did she? Why? And then they're out on a date and the date goes so terribly, it turns into like a triple date with this complete rando who gets on a bus and you're like, still better than Bill. (laughs) And also that guy's from the Navy And is it just me, or did it seem like he was flirting with Bill more than he was flirting with Jane? (laughs) It did for sure feel like that, but then it also felt like, oh, I guess he's gonna come back when, spoiler alert, Bill dies. And then he never fucking comes back. He's just there for this weird, bad date that somehow still convinces her to want to marry Bill, even though it's the worst date I've ever seen. They go bowling, he's bad at bowling, he picks a fight which makes him trip and hit his head. Then they hang out with the guy who he picked a fight with until that guy gets on a bus and he goes, that guy looks better than me, doesn't he? And she goes, no. And he goes, just say it. And she goes, I would say it if I thought it. And that's the end of the date. Yeah, and then they still keep hanging out, and he's going to go off to his staging location, and their final date, he nearly kills her in a hay thresher. Yeah. (laughs) And then she says yes when he asks her to marry her, not minutes later. She insists they get married, like, right then, before he goes off that like she's going to take a train to New York before he ships out and they're going to get married and they're going to get married and have a baby specifically insists I'm thinking oh no don't do that please don't do that at all and then like the one good thing Bill ever does is go god don't do that yes (laughs) and then he gets on the train he leaves grandpa doesn't make it in time he immediately and unceremoniously dies Tony comes back and gives everybody tchotchkes he got from the place that Bill died. And then the husband, oh, the husband's been missing in action for like an hour and 45 minutes. And then the last scene is like, we found him. He's coming home. End of film. Well, and what's really fascinating is that we have this film that is three minutes short of three hours long. And to be fair, there's a six minute overture and then like a five minute intermission. Yeah. I think it's about five minutes. I don't know. I went to the bathroom and then had to come back and rewind it. But, you know, it's basically three hours long. And then as soon as there's this whole bit where the terrible neighbor slash friend comes over and says something about how it's really inappropriate or scandalous that Jane has become a Red Cross nurse and Jane tells her off and then Claudette Colbert tells her off and then Claudette Colbert says, oh, well, I'm just not doing enough for the war effort. We have 10 minutes or something where she gets a job, meets a Polish refugee who she apparently has become good enough friends with that the Polish refugee tells her that when she was you know, praying with her now dead young child that this is what she thought America would be like is Claudette Colbert. 
they have Christmas. It turns out that Tim, the husband, left gifts with Hattie McDaniel's character to give to them at Christmas. She opens the box, gets the call that they found Tim and he's fine, and then runs upstairs and tells the daughters. That happens in the last 10 minutes of the film. In a three-hour movie. (laughs) Yep. Everything that you would think would be interesting about a movie about the home front in World War II takes 10 minutes in a three-hour movie. The rest of it is fucking shaggy dog stories about these women not fucking. (laughs) Well, and to be fair, the youngest daughter is not old enough to even think about it, so... That's fair, but also the youngest daughter does not exist in this movie. Her plotline is, has a friend who talks even less than she does. That's it. Has a friend who doesn't talk at all. That's the joke. Which is not funny. Like, oh, their next door neighbor never says anything. Right. But having a friend who doesn't talk to her family is her only actual character quality. Other than that, Jane could just be in every scene she's in. Yeah, I'm actually trying to think of anything else that happens with Bridget, and I just don't think there is anything else. I think she moves an aquarium with the colonel. And then convinces him he has to pay for breakfast. Is that her or is that Jane? No, that's her. No, that's her. But that's very early in the film. (laughs) Right. She then disappears for two hours of the movie. And is basically just there so that every scene isn't Claudette Colbert and Jane talking to each other. Occasionally they talk to Bridget. And then Bridget doesn't say anything, but yeah, or... Please continue your monologue. And then that's the end of that scene. Right. Or I'm so proud of you for being a nurse, Jane. Right. And then that's also a plot line. Jane is a nurse. There's like three scenes of that. And she meets some other officer who is going to write to her, but that's the extent of anything that we see with them. Yeah. It sucks. This movie sucks. Even Joseph Cotton, I think, sucks in it. See, I didn't think it sucked it was just like this is totally fine (laughs) it was like watching multiple episodes of television back to back it was like listening to a grateful dead mixtape in that it's totally fine but at around hour three of it being totally fine it sucks (laughs) like you actually don't want to listen to a jam band that long and this is a jam band of a movie Like, they're just going to noodle around and see what happens for three hours. And that sucks. I kept thinking of it as being... Do you remember there used to be, on Friday evenings, the series of family sitcoms, like Family Matters and... Oh, TGIF. Yeah. Of course. It felt like the stakes of this film were, like, watching multiple episodes of TGIF back-to-back, except that you didn't have every 23 minutes a moral that happened, (laughs) but it was like everything but the moral on some sort of full house marathon. (laughs) Yeah. Also, though, if Salem the Cat showed up every 20 minutes to go, oh boy, this again, this movie would be literally five times better than it is. They do have a dog. Oh, the dog sucks so much, though. The only joke about the dog is the colonel doesn't like the dog. The dog never does anything. And the dog likes to sleep in the same bed. Yeah. And likes to lick his face or whatever. But basically, 
the dog really likes the colonel. The colonel pretends like he doesn't like the dog. And everybody goes, ha ha ha, you actually do like the dog. I mean, the dog doesn't suck. He's a fine dog. He just doesn't do anything exciting. I mean, that's sort of this whole movie. Well, no, that's not true. There are people in this that actively suck. Yes. There's a lot of things in this movie where the character as a human being is fine. They're fine. Honestly, that would kind of be my argument about Bill. As a human being that exists in the world, kind of boring dude who's gotten hectored into basically being too nervous to live by his grandfather for his entire life is kind of interesting and an okay person. Why do I have to watch him for two hours? Like, why do I have to watch these people? You know, I hadn't really thought about it, but being too nervous to live is a much more interesting character than I feel like Bill is allowed to be. (laughs) I absolutely see that, and I feel like that exists, but they boil it all down to, I flunked out of West Point, so Granddad hates me, and uh, my entire childhood I probably was treated like I was already in the military. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he kind of says that in that one scene where they try and do some fancy lighting, or rather they try and do fancy not lighting, where they're standing in the dark arguing about cigarettes. He spends some time going, Yeah, my grandfather basically, since I could stand up, said that I was going to be a military officer. And I figured out that I was not constitutionally built for that when I was like eight. But there was fucking nothing to be done about it. So I just spent my entire life getting prepared to go to West Point, at which point I immediately failed out of West Point because somebody who wasn't my grandfather was judging how I was doing. Wow, that's mildly interesting. And the movie's like, we thought so too. He's dead now. (laughs) And, yeah, it sucks. I mean, she doesn't even get a letter from him before he dies. Nope. She might have. It's not really clear what the elapsed time is, but there are no scenes in between him leaving on the train and Claudia Colbert saying, oh, by the way, welcome home from work. I got this telegram. Bill's dead. Much like this movie in general, the period of time this movie is supposed to take place over is both like an infinite amount of time and like five minutes. Much like the film itself has five minutes of plot, but lasts four years when you're watching it. You go, okay, so when did the movie start if it's ending at Christmas? I had that question. Has it been a year? Has it been three months? Right. I think it's snowing in the scene where they find out Bill's dead. But does that tell us anything? You could tell me this movie took place over two months or two years, and I would be like, yeah, that makes sense. Sure. Yes. Which, again, is the feeling of watching TGIF, because everything is just sort of in a time except for the Christmas episodes. (laughs) Yeah, again, I really hated this film, apparently, because I like want to stand up and go to bat for TGIF sitcoms as being better than this movie. Get family matters out of your mouth, Susan. How dare I actually didn't hate it nearly as much as you did. I thought that it was- Listen, if Bill built a machine and went into it and came out and was like, I am Bial Urkel now, and like just did a full Stefan Urkel plotline, this movie, again, would be like five times better than it is. Yeah, I, I just think that it's like, like a 
no, it's not that good. I'm not going to say it's like a peanut butter sandwich because peanut butter sandwiches are amazing. It's so bland as to, I don't, I just don't feel that passionately about it. I think it's like, again, live recording of the Grateful Dead or like mayonnaise. Mayonnaise is fine, but when you have enough mayonnaise, it's actually a war crime. (laughs) That's kind of this movie's quality level is. It's fine. And at about hour two, two hours and 15 minutes in, it being fine curdles for me into, I'm so angry. Why is this movie still happening? How dare this movie not only have an intermission, but dare to call it an entre-act? Fuck you, movie. Fuck you. I mean, it has to have an intermission because it's three hours long. And it has no business being three hours long. It barely has business being 40 minutes long. It's got two more hours than that. For me, it's a five. It is absolutely like dead center, just... Totally average. That's absurd. It's racist. It's way too long. It's shitty. It's a three tops. I was going to top out at a three. I was going to argue for a two. All right. I'll give you a three because you are right that it is racist. (laughs) And it's one portrayal of a black person, despite the fact that she is consistently portrayed as smarter than everyone. They have to undermine it all the time with giving her malapropisms. Is it sexist? I would guess so. Yeah, for sure it is, Susan. Yeah. I think I've been ground down, actually, by the sexism of the 40s. Because it feels like the 40s are more sexist than the 30s. Am I wrong here? No, I think you're right. And I think it's specifically... You can feel this movie be terrified when it gives Colbert a job for five whole minutes. Like, you can feel that everyone involved in the making of this film was absolutely shitting their pants that women had jobs. Was just (laughs) losing their fucking minds about it. Of all jobs, they give her a really serious job that she's training to be a welder, which is a pretty intense thing for someone who has only ever, as far as I can tell, been a housewife. Right. But my argument is more that, like, you can feel the culturally conservative elements go like, okay, we have to spend like an hour and 20 minutes setting up it being okay that she's a welder. And it's like, your husband's off to war. You don't have enough money. You clearly are passionate about beating the Nazis. Fucking Rosie the Riveter this shit up, Claudette Colbert. Let's go. And that's like 10 minutes in. And again, it's the two hour and 40 minute mark where she goes and gets a job. Right, but conversely... Jane ends up being a nurse pretty soon into the film and gets to have the whole telling off Emily thing where Emily is essentially implying that, you know, it's very dirty and sort of sexually dirty that Jane is touching men in her capacity as a nurse. And Jane basically tells her to go fuck herself. (laughs) Okay, so this is, yes, that is absolutely true. I do want to hop in and make one pedantic note, which is pretty early in this film when Jane gets a job as a nurse is like later in this film than the entire running time of Die Hard. Like it's an hour and 20 minutes in. <laughs> that's not that. that's true, but it is pretty early in this film. <laughs> so <laughs> I cannot disagree with you here. That is just a factual statement. <laughs> 
But also, I do think this movie comes down on the right side of women entering the workplace. But you can feel the culture at large being scared of that in the way this movie treats that. The, in how much it feels like it needs to build the scaffolding. It feels like when a gay person would show up on a 90s show. You know, that like the entire episode has to be about how that's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. That is how this movie treats women having jobs. And that's how basically every movie we've watched in the 40s has treated women having jobs. It seems like the culture is freaking out about it. But one, who's the market for movies right now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fair. And and two, somebody's got to fucking rivet these planes. Like, somebody's got to build these ships. It feels like this movie is for women having jobs, but is surprised to find itself being for women having jobs. And therefore spends way too much time on setup. I think also, though, that even outside of the idea of women being employed, that the 40s have just been generally more sexist, even in movies that we've really liked. Like, there's a lot of really sexist shit in Casablanca, and it's a fantastic film. And I think part of the very sexist flirtation dynamic that exists in 40s films i think i've reached a point where i'm now too inoculated to it so i appreciate you pulling me out of that because i feel like i've been yeah you know it's calling women dames and telling them they have great gams is just that's normal and fine and it's kind of not Here's the thing. In this movie, that's the most normal and fun thing that could happen to a woman. To be fair, the film does treat what Tony does with the poster as being a violation and being totally not okay. It's just that he suffers absolutely zero repercussions for that. Uh, yeah, it, they treat it as not okay in that everybody looks kind of aghast before they let him stay at their place without paying any money for a couple of days. Or weeks. We're not really clear on that. Right. <laughs> Months? Who knows? <sighs> yeah, okay, fine. I'll go down to a three. But those are technicalities for me because I did not suffer watching this film the way that I suffered watching, say, The Song of Bernadette. <laughs> Which also has Jennifer Jones in it. Jennifer Jones plays Jane in this. And she was Bernadette in Song of Bernadette. Yeah. And she's like really kind of Bernadetting it up a little bit. Uh, yeah. There were a few times where she was allowed to be something other than just an angelic 17 year old. It was that I kind of spent a lot of the film going like, Jennifer Jones is the same one that's Bernadette in Song of Bernadette, right? And then the scene where she finds out Bill died, where she just stares off into the middle distance like her brain broke. I went, oh yeah, no, 100%. She's, she's yeah, that's the one. That's her. Yep, definitely her. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah. There were a couple of times when something would happen and she would just do her, oh, well, I sort of breathy head tilt. Where I, I, yeah, I don't get it. She's very pretty. She is very pretty. Claudette Colbert gives a really good performance, I think. 
And as much as I hate Tony and would gladly see him die before Bill, I do think Joseph Cotton does a great job making him charming, despite the fact that the character is a terrible person. You know, I think maybe that's really what it is, is it's Joseph Cotton. I mean, put anyone else in this role and I hate Tony. Not even would be glad to see him die before Bill, but I actively want to see him die. He does a really good job of making this character likable despite that. Yeah, I mean, I think basically everybody who's any good in this movie is given more than they're getting out of the script. Even though I did want to a little bit play down how much Hattie McDaniel got to talk back to authority in this film, I do think the few chances she gets to do that, she takes it. I absolutely think that's true. And I think, yeah, Joseph Cotton manages to make me kind of, like, I was kind of angry how much he made me like Tony. <laughs> like, I was kind of like, this, this fuck, Joseph, you dared make Joseph Cotton play this. But it was effective. Like, I did get why people find him charming, even though on paper, he's a terrible person. Claudette Colbert is, I think, fine in this movie, but is mostly just perfectly cast. She's the perfect housewife on the home front. Oh yeah, you get Claudette Colbert for that. Yes. And then she does it. She's just playing a very warm every woman, which she does quite well. It's kind of a waste of Claudette Colbert, to be honest. You know, we know that she's actually, she can be quite funny, and she is offered absolutely nothing to do here as far as her comedic timing is concerned. I don't think she has a single joke. Yeah, no. Not that this movie abounds with jokes, but, you know, she doesn't get any of them. No, this movie mostly thinks that jokes are something happening to an old man, and that old man going, Yes. That is pretty much it. D but don't watch this movie. Let me be clear that while I did not suffer through it the way that I have some other films that we have watched, God no. there's no reason to watch this movie at all. I mean, even in the realm of propaganda films, there are better propaganda films to watch than this. Like Watch on the Ride. <laughs> and speaking of propaganda films, next week we have a two and a half hour Technicolor biography of FDR. No. <laughs> nope, not even close. Oh, oh, it's Wilson. It's Woodrow Wilson. No. Why did I think it was FDR? I have no idea. Because FDR was president at this point? I guess. Oh, you know what it is? It's because I can't get the dumb musical about FDR that's in the framing device for that one movie we watched out of my brain. Yankee Doodle Dandy. Yeah. For some reason, the poster looks in my head how I thought that looked. I don't know. I clearly just switched them around. It does have a very red, white, and blue poster with illustrated people's faces on it. It's not unlike... The Aki Doodle Dandy poster. No, though I am suddenly realizing now that like my brain has stopped putting FDR in where it says Wilson, which it's honestly been doing for weeks as we've recorded this podcast. I think I've said shit like, I guess we're just going to pretend he can walk several times. And you must have been like, you mean after the strokes? <laughs> I'm realizing now that I know that this is a really long biopic of Woodrow Wilson. I've actually seen this before. Really? In college. Only like the last hour. 
which really goes to great lengths to argue that Woodrow Wilson has done nothing wrong in his life and we could have avoided World War II if everybody just listened to him. Which kind of little bit more complicated than that. But I guess we'll get into that next week. I have never seen it and um, don't love Woodrow Wilson generally. So we'll we'll see how this turns out. But it does have Charles Coburn in it as Woodrow Wilson. No, as some professor. Never mind. Yeah, no, I think you're going to kind of like the cinematography, but otherwise you're going to hate this movie because it is really, really kind to Woodrow Wilson. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. But we'll we'll, we'll see. Maybe, it, it's, you know, maybe it'll be a fun hate watch. That would be something. Yeah. Haven't had one of those in a while. <laughs> I don't know. I had one just now, but I guess you're you're maybe due for one and I'm not. I don't feel like it was a fun hate watch for you. <laughs> oh, that's very fair. It was just a regular type hate watch. Yeah. Honestly, from the length of this, I should have argued for Binkle answering this. So tune in next week to see whether or not I hate Wilson or I enjoy hating Wilson. <laughs> Bye, everybody. This was... Oh, God, I'm yawning. That's bad audio. We should do another take, but you know what? And until then... (laughs) No, I yawned, and that's what this movie gets. I'm I'm sorry, Susan. I'm sure it's really bad audio, but that's what we're doing. That's that was my honest reaction. My mind told me what what to rate this movie, and it was yawning on on mic. Goodbye, everyone. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Get on, son. We're about to pull out. Hurry up, Sonny.